0: Carrying huge space. look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. He's getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is gonna do it. He's gonna smash the time. Oh, oh,
1: Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling.
0: Hello, world. How's it going? Welcome back. This is Moving the Needle Podcast. If you're new, welcome to the show. I like to dig into sportsmen you know, maybe mountain biking because that's where I come from, but I am going to branch out. But this one is a Crank Brothers race review. That'll be with me and I will have a host of other people joining. Today, it'll be Alan Milway, coach to the stars of downhill mountain biking. Now, Crank Brothers, they are synonymous with downhill racing. You've heard it before. Last year, celebrating 11 years in a row of the elite world chance win with that Mallet DH pedal. Now, this race I've been asking, one of my favorite things to see and to ride in is a pair of white shoes with gum soles, but they didn't do it in clip, and I see, I need to maybe get back on the World Cup circuit to get me a pair of those shoes, and Bernard Kerr took them all the way to second, so props to Crank Brothers, they know what's up, so there were some cool new colorways out there, and some cool shoeys that were done on the podium, Alan, do you know what a shoeie is?
2: i do i don't know if i fancy doing it but i think if i got on the podium i would put that champagne straight in the shoe and just glug it down that sounds good to me
0: yeah i think the emotion takes over the logic of how stinky and muddy those shoes were (laughs) probably after a week in a snowshoe west virginia it was horrendous conditions i think we both actually kind of stoked we weren't there you know mostly it's quite a lot of fomo but standing on the side of the track in the rain, it's not the best thing.
2: No, it, it was a tough one. And i tell you what, um, Michaela sent me a message. She'd just arrived and she said, Alan, I pack for the dry. <laughs> I was like, oh, girl, you're going to be down the laundry every single night if you pack for the dry. <laughs> uh, and I couldn't keep
0: up with who got their bikes or who got their race tires. Shame. There were riders that didn't get bikes. There were riders that didn't yeah. get bags. I don't think Danny Hart got his gear bag. I've been sharing texts with him, um, which I'll talk about a bit later. I don't even know if he had yeah. a gear bag because I did see him in some gloves that weren't quite sponsor-related. Oh, oh, really? So uh, yeah, I do yeah. think he actually didn't even get a gear bag by the end of the, of the race week. So oh. tough week if you don't have all your stuff, or your rain gear, because preparation and planning before this race is key. So those factory teams that have more kit than they know what to do with, more tires than they know what to do support, that really helps in a mud race. It, it helps conserve the energy by
2: race day. It really does. And I think we should probably touch on something very related to this is that for the vast majority of all teams, the big trucks, the fancy setups, all of that kit is based in Europe. It's not in the States. So just using the Affertons as an example, they've got this huge motocross-inspired, Formula One-inspired truck, which has got absolutely everything. And they flew their bikes out in, you know, bike boxes. And you're suddenly, you you haven't got your creature comforts. You're underneath a, a, an easy up, an awning. and it really makes life hard. We had a flavour of that in Andorra because the way the track was situated, it was kilometres away from the pits. And I found it a very difficult setup because all of the nice stuff, the air conditioning, the fridge, the the hot plates, and I know these are first world problems, but when you're used to working with athletes in these conditions and you've got everything set up and you've got your turbo trainers and your your warm-up area everything set up when we went to Andorra it was a real pain in the ass if I'm honest but that was warm it was dry and the mechanics all they had to deal with was brushing dust off the bike so that really I really felt for everyone when they went you know you flew across the pond you're on the other side of the world and you don't have any of this set up with you. It must be such a battle. And, you know, to try and race at your very best in a really alien environment for a lot of these people.
0: Yeah, it almost brings back the well brings back the field closer together, like there's less mm. factory setup because no one really has these rigs, right? That you speak of the European rigs. But at the same time, the teams with more resources can fly more spares over more spare wheels for sure all those things so they still have an advantage as a factory team but you're right back in the heyday when the american circuit was so strong and the norb as they called them back in the day and you know a lot of my factory teams i was very lucky we had sort of a bigger setup in america north america some of the american teams i raced for and a lot of the teams back and they did that because there was so much racing there and europe was a little disjointed. There was a few, but it wasn't so many back to back. But now they've kind of every team has basically got rid of those big rigs because there's not enough racing there. So it is interesting to see that side of the sport. But I mean just you know rule of thumb, a wet race, 10 times more work. Yeah. And you heard it from the riders. This one was physical. There's one thing when it's wet and you're dealing with your kit, but if it's like the J It's pretty fun. There is grip considering it's raining most of the time and there's gradient. But this one, it was such a crapshoot with the lack of traction and the inconsistency. You watch those practice videos. You listen to those interviews. You saw those race runs, especially sort of as the broadcast came live. I mean, it, it was just a roll of the dice in some areas. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, for sure, and I think that must be really difficult from a mental standpoint because there are some tracks where you go to the top of the track and you you can visualise what you're going to do, you know what's coming, you can make a clear preparation of where you're going to hit a corner and how the bike's going to react. But you know, we both know that feeling of when you're. I remember a track I used to ride, and it's not World Cup track, but there was a track I used to ride uh, in Moorsen and. It was sort of, we dug it out and it was all these rocks and it was mossy and it was wet and it was slippery. And I used to just think, I have no idea how I'm going to pop out the other end of this. Every single run, it would be different. And that's what I thought of when I was watching, you know, these guys go down this track. I thought they're going to come out left, right, center, feet off, the bike swapping. And if you that must be really hard to deal with because you make it through in one piece, then brilliant. But a lot of people, I think, were getting a bit banged up and hitting the deck quite a lot.
0: Yeah, and I mean, practice as well. You've got to get through practice. That's where someone like Cammy's approach, not wanting to hit the deck and building her weekend, and we heard it from Amri, not knowing he was going to race, potentially helped him maybe really build slowly to his fastest pace was his race run, as well as those were the best conditions of the weekend. So the interesting, the tactics, and it would have been such uh, and we'll probably use the term a lot. A lot of it was roll of the dice. Yeah. But are you going to go for the safe, clean run? But there's no guarantee you can get that clean, because it was so slippery that even if you were on top of your game and you're mentally strong and there was no doubt and you committed, you could slide on one of those rocks on those off camber rocks. And if you did that in a place where there was like that, you really needed exit speed it hurt you so badly. There were other places you could maybe make one of those mistakes like we saw and still get away with it. Um, and versus when we saw these later riders, it was kind of, well, I'm going to go with a strategy. I might make a mistake anyway, so I might as well attack almost 100% in certain sections anyway. And you saw that roll of the dice and it paid off because most people that attacked hard enough actually got away with more because they were almost carrying more momentum. And they were more committed, and and to ride well in those conditions, it is commitment. I've done a fair share of rain races, and my best runs were fully committed and attacking. You know, forward attacking. Because once you hesitate, you get a bit tight in the bike, and that's when you get deflected. Um, But you also see, like really, like Troy's crash was didn't seem like he did anything wrong. He just kind of the front wheel just hit something. It pushed, couldn't get his foot out in time and he was down it didn't look like non-committal it didn't look like he was hesitating it just happened racing incident
2: well that it's the point you make about committing versus not committing i think you you, you have to commit you might not fare any better but luck might be on your side and if you sort of think i'm going to throttle back and i'm going to ride at 85 90 it does you no favors. You're more likely to make a mistake. You're not going to carry that same momentum. You're going to be trying to second guess what's about to happen. And you, you, see, you see it quite a lot. And, and I saw some of the girls when I was watching the girls race because I thought that was a fascinating race because I think their conditions, the juniors, uh, I might be wrong, but it looked like the juniors' conditions were very similar to qualifying. And then the girls had this real mix of a lot of people going down Uh, the juniors, there was fair few crashes as well. But then it dried quite a lot in the day. Um, And you could see when some of the girls were like, what's about to happen here? And they would slide themselves to the back of the bike. And you go to the back of the bike and you're not putting weight over the front tyre. So you're not getting any grip on the front tyre. So you're going to get less traction, less control. And it it exacerbates the problem. So in your head, you're thinking, shit, I don't know what's going to happen. I think the front wheel is going to slide. And your natural reaction is to do everything to make that situation worse. And it, it, it really is like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it really does cause problems.
0: It's like in a, in a car, if you are driving a, a fast sports car and, you're not, you know, if you overdo a turn and actually a downhill bike as well, the worst thing you can do is break in the turn, stands oh. the bike up and a car is even worse. It really yeah. unsettles one. You know, I have a horror story. I mean, I didn't crash the thing, but even though I know not to break in the turn, you get worried, you break. So you know, okay, okay. I need grip on the front wheel, but I don't really know how hard. And you move back. And Miriam spoke about that. You know, her her injuries and her preparation is maybe not as perfect as she wish. And she mentioned maybe got more fatigue than she hoped for, as well as a very tough track, especially if you make some mistakes and you're fighting the bike, but you're still going. You're going to be a bit fatigued. What happens when you fatigue? You kind of slouch back over the back of the bike. You're not as strong on the front. She mentioned that, and and it was maybe a little bit of a body position which added to what you mentioned, you know, a little slip of the front wheel, not enough momentum. If that track was steeper, it would be a lot scarier and maybe some bigger crashes, so we wouldn't want that. But that would help the riders in some of those conditions. But it's so flat in some of those rock sections.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> That's it. And I think Miriam's a really good example of that. I, I I still feel, and I think I've even mentioned it before when we've talked, like she's got so much potential. She's so fast, but I still think there's a couple of areas where it sh- it sort of shows that she's not perfectly confident. She's not sat into that bike like I think she would. And if you were to overlay her body position with someone like Valley or Camille, you can really see both of those girls look so nice on the bike. They're quite tall on the bike. They're looking way ahead their wrists are down but they're quite upright torso and that's quite different to the way Miriam rides and I think that um, for me Valley is this um what's the word I'm looking for she's got all the ingredients there to win and win by big margins she looks fantastic on the bike and I you know I It just needs to click for her and whether it's one area or another, I know that mentally it's obviously difficult. She feels a lot of pressure and it was nice it's really nice to see her come through that and take a win when she, you know, to get through that sort of monkey she had on her back. But again here, I feel as though there's still loads more to come from Valley. And when you look at Camille, she just looks so consistent and the way she rides her bike is it to me it's technically one of one of the best models i guess if you're looking at a technical model and i i I never feel as though she rides the fastest but i think she rides the most consistent and because she's in a good body position all those things we've talked about it gives her more margin for error you know if something is to go wrong you're in the right place to deal with it and it's it is quite interesting when you look at um just some of the stats that have come up i find quite interesting when you compare like the I'm just going to try and bring something up here. When you compare the absolute fastest time, if you were to take all the fastest sectors versus the winner's time. So, you know, in the finals, Camille was still over two and a half seconds off the fastest theoretical time. So it's interesting to show that there is some consistency that she was, you know, putting into that. Um, and I think that is it is quite interesting I think that's a strategy, you know?
0: Well, it makes sense though, because, you know, in the notes I made, you know, Miriam's still fastest at the third split and she was quite clinical except for those little mistakes, which maybe a little bit of fatigue. Then there's just roll of the dice of the track conditions and maybe her riding technique and style. Nothing wrong with it. That's the beauty of downhill. You could say, look, textbook is a little bit more Cammy, even though she's newest to the sport, is definitely more balanced on the bike. Miriam has a little bit more lower, hunched, attacking style, but does seem to get a little bit more weight over the back wheel. And she mentioned it herself. And you can see it when she gets fatigued. That's where she goes. That's where a lot of riders go when the arms get fatigued. Cammy is able to sort of stay neutral, maybe even when she gets tired. So, I mean, Miriam rode a great race considering... Uh, those splits and, and, and those mistakes and bubbles, you know, she had k- not a great race run overall no, well, it was a, and it, she was she still sick. You know, she? She's got exactly. the crashes, she's exactly. got the bubbles and she's yeah. still second, you know, four seconds back oh, when no. we say, you know, multiple issues, but Cammy had again, a clinical sort of week. She mentioned it didn't crash the whole week. Sven, yeah. Sven was speechless. What? I mean, you don't get Sven's speeches. He yeah. said, sorry, what? The whole week? I,
2: think it's really, I just listened to this interview. Shown-
0: you know? Normally, he's like, and this and that. And he's like, I
2: know. I thought that what? was fascinating to him. You hear. didn't
0: crash on race yeah. day or the whole fascinating. week? Fascinating. <laughs> no, the whole week. He's like, you might be one of yeah. the only riders yeah. that didn't crash the whole yeah. week. So that that is pretty impressive strategy yeah. for her to build her week. And, and for it to come out at the end. I mean, it's actually ridiculous. It's amazing. in those conditions.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's shown a lot of maturity and um, maybe a, a fair amount of discussion, you know, with her team, with her flip about. But um, just on that point, we've talked pre-coach with her team no, manager, please, with the mechanic. Me. This is the game plan. And I know what's interesting is Greg's always really good at that. Sorry to, you know, race day. So obviously, you know what it's like. On We get there normally the day of track walk or maybe the day before track walk. Obviously, for him, it's a mature setup. He's, you know, the best day before track walk. And I'll I'll be discussing with Greg and I'll often say to him, right, what's your plan? And he'll have it. He's going, I'm doing this many runs. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And it's all laid out. And, and that is such a best in the world, the best we've seen. But to have that set up, I think for anyone listening, it's important that they realise these guys just aren't guys and girls aren't just going flat out every run, and they're not just trying to do full runs. They're trying to break down the track, work out their issues. And when you listen to to Pierron talking after the race, he said exactly that. He said, "I, I wasn't even sure what I was going to do. I was going to take it piece by piece by piece and build it up." And you know, I I say this a lot, and I say this to my riders a lot. The only run anyone ever cares about is the last run you do down that track and you've been there for four days you've been riding countless runs you don't need to suddenly put in a heater on day one and it you know it's useful time training is a really useful time to maybe put in a hot lap towards the end to see how your pace is or see how some lines are working out but for some maybe less experienced riders or riders who are just trying to get their name out there. They're trying to win everything. They're just trying to go as fast as they can. And, and maybe that's missing the point. You know, it's like these bike park laps when you, when you talk to someone who's been to the bike park, how was your weekend? Oh, I did 15 laps. It's like, well, you know, does that help? Did you get better on any of those laps? It's, it's a really interesting thing, isn't it? You're just trying to get better. And I think the very best in the world, that's all they want to be. They want to be better
0: yeah that's interesting and we spoke about it if it's necessary to walk a track or not and it it depends what are you are you honestly going to gain something out of this and if you really need it for your mental side that's fine can your body cope with it is it worth the risk of fatiguing yourself but speaking to that point cammy spoke about doing less runs on race day so she's Mature enough to know, okay, maybe less is more on this type of track. If I do more, I risk a crash. If I have a decent first run, it is going to dry. I'm going to adapt and race the race on little different conditions. And someone like Greg is obviously incredibly experienced like that. And Amari did a perfect weekend in terms of he probably managed his energy very well on a track like this. Because what are you going to gain from doing the rock section 10 times versus 6 yeah it's kind of slippery. You're risking crashes, you're risking, hurting your confidence. So if it's a very fine line, and I think that's where someone like Greg maybe has a plan. Look, if I can get my lines dialed very early, then I'm only doing five runs before timed. If I'm really struggling out there, you know maybe I' do another one. So that is a great lesson is you know sometimes less is more as and as well as just because you can fit seven practice runs in. Does't mean it's going to help you go faster. You know, every practice run is giving you an opportunity to build that perfect race run, like you said. Everyone, everyone, unfortunately, cares about the last run. And it's all about that sort of education and getting your strategy correct. And it's everything from what gear am I going to start in the start line to how hard am I going to pedal, you know, am I going to squash that jump it's an, it's an incredible facet of, of the sport is building up to, to a race run and, and having the energy, especially on a track like this.
2: Exactly, and it's what, what these riders are actually doing to their bikes between the setup. I've heard some interesting things about Vergier and how he's doing a lot of work apparently on that bike. He's changing stuff all the time, and um, I find that fascinating, and Greg's definitely one of those people. And Greg will use his runs for those things. Do I need the bars a bit higher? how's the shock doing you know what the forks doing so every run he's making an adaptation and he'll make a decision is is it in the right direction or is it in the wrong direction and for him i think a lot of that is getting the bike to a point where he's happy with it because he's so so precise on these things that i honestly think that if greg knows where he's going and then he's got a bike where he's like yeah man this is the bike for me i know that this is going to be good then he can really attack it and he can just go hell for leather and he can just everything else, you know, he can trust in that bike. And when we were in Lenzer and he was on the podium there, before he went out for that finals run, he was like, yeah, this is going to be a good one. The bike's good. And for him, a lot of it is, is the bike good enough? And I've always found it very, very interesting because, as you can imagine, when I'm out on my bike, I was out my bike last night for a couple of hours on my trail bike. And I'm always tinkering with stuff because I'm trying to understand these riders. I want to understand when they give me feedback on tire pressures or shock pressures or whatever. And I remember in Portugal a few years back with G, and he was like, "Oh, I'm not running. I'm not riding down this now. The the forks lost pressure. It needs to be at 91 or whatever." So we sort of stopped and pushed back up a bit, and we got a mechanic to bring a tra- uh, uh, shock pump up, and it had dropped to like. 89 and a half from 91 and i was like "Geez, how the you know how do you know this and these guys will know the difference in their shop in their tire pressure if the tire pressure's gone up or down i don't think that it's very easy to, uh, to underestimate the level of detail these these riders can analyze a bike so when they get it right and they're happy everyone else is in trouble
0: yeah, definitely. We had a question on the podcast. I do it with uh, uh, another friend of mine, Miles. He was a downhill masters world champ. Great guy. And he's got a lot of experience. And the question from a listener came in and said, I'll have to look it up. I think it was, does Greg Menard actually puzzle? <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of said, there's a multiple ways to answer it. I think he puzzles for the sake of it. He puzzles for his head and then sometimes he is puzzling. Like sometimes I think he does it as as something to kind of build confidence that he's ticked all the boxes. He's you know, he's gone through the fork and he's made this one click change. that's, and a, that's the secret yeah. weapon. I'm like, yeah, man, if I go up to yeah. that bike and I click it back, I bet you yeah. he does the same time. But for him, he knows okay, I've ticked all the bike boxes. Whether, hey, it's dry and and he probably would have done this. Hey, it's drying. It's different to when I did practice. He's a type of rider that is able to work with Fox and say, we're going to go up in compression. It's going to run faster. That's the setup we go in. That's brilliant. It gives him confidence. Say, cool, I've adjusted the bike to the conditions, which means I can, in inverted commas, push harder. He might have been able to get down the hill on the same setup at the same speed. Who knows? But that's the brilliant thing about the sport. It's those little things that could actually just Oh, help your mental more than they actually help the bike setup.
2: That's exactly it. Because the difference between being able to ride down that track well and fast versus attack, it was that I think that's the word of the day, really. You know, you brought up at the start of the podcast how hard can I push and am I trusting in my bike? Normally, the setup gets harder through the weekend, and normally people. Still seem to start too soft because if you start practice and you're riding very slowly and you're riding a you know your thoroughbred race bike setup, it feels pretty you know pretty naff. It's not very compliant. You almost need to build your speed to match the setup of the bike, and it's it's understanding that. And I and I know mechanics. I've talked to mechanics in the past who felt as though based on the qualifying setup and the qualifying times, they would add compression. They wouldn't even tell the rider. Honestly. Like, I'm not even going to tell the rider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've heard yeah, like, that gonna, as
0: well, yeah.
2: Yeah, we're going to add compression because I know for a fact that, that, that they will need it because the, often the feedback from a race run is the bike was too soft or I bottomed it out here or something happened because it's really hard to to get that um, the difference between... Well, actually, I can use a really good example from you. Do you remember back in half year, we had power cranks on your bike back in the giant factory racing days and I was measuring heart rate and lactate and we were doing loads of testing and it was a fascinating increase in your power output between practice to timed run, from time run to qualifying, from qualifying to race. And it was, it was almost linear. It just went up and it went up and it went up and it was really interesting for me to geek out on that stuff because I could almost predict right andrew's going to lay down more watts coming out of this corner there was a real slow corner halfway down when you came round off the piece then you accelerated back up to speed and your wattage output was just climbing on each run and i was like you know it's really hard to train that top end because you do it so infrequently
0: Yeah, I think racing depends on the rider, but it's so hard to empty the tank, either be on power or be it on a sprint because you know like qualifying timed is a certain thing, then qualifying, I'm going a bit harder, and you build, and then you go, it's all or nothing here, and it's tough to do all or nothing in in, in a quali run. Yeah, it's fascinating, and you're right, that calculated attack, I mean, that showed me that that was the way to win the race. was not a clinical clean run, You had to still attack. The times have changed. When you see Greg, you could visibly see how hard he was going at it. He was smooth, he was calculated, but he was giving it a go. And when you see someone like Greg visually giving it a go on a track like that, then you knew the guys down the end were not going to hold back. You couldn't hold back and get near the podium.
2: So here's a question for you, and it's something that that Greg would never agree to, but maybe maybe we'd agree to this. So Greg made a quite a big mistake at the top and he said to me, I had I had to attack because I've made quite a big mistake. Now he will obviously know, he knows better than me, how hard he can push on that on that, you know, the track. But part of me wonders if he hadn't made that mistake at the top, would he have risked that much down there? Because normally when Greg rides, it's like he's He's riding a Vela Solutions track. You know, there's it's so, everything's so smooth and in time. And when you see him battling that bike and really working hard, you're thinking, wow, this guy's, he's going. So I'm not saying that the mistake did him a favour by any means because you're losing time and you see it in the splits. But I think it, from a mental standpoint, he was like, I'm not going to do anything on this track unless I now go absolutely, you know, flat out and risk a bit.
0: Yeah, I made note of that as well. So he, he, his first split was nowhere near what I think he could have done on the style of, of yeah. track, right? There's pedaling out the gate, there's fast stuff. He's going to be faster. There's no ways that the first split he would be that far back and then have that sort of speed. So yeah, I myself have had those races. You make a little area and you, it pisses you off. And it puts you into a little bit more overdrive, even though you can never make up time, they say, right? The time is gone. But does that put him into overdrive and say, cool, well, now I've got nothing to lose because if I ride my normal pace after that mistake, I'm getting 12th, 15th. So yeah, it, it can be a little bit of blessing. You never want it to happen, but you can obviously override after mistake and make mistake after mistake. But he was, you know he knows the speed yeah. of his track and maybe someone of less experience won't be able to make up for those type of mistakes, but he clearly had great track speed, right? To be able to, oh, sure. to make up, you know? So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And and uh, whether he'll admit it or not, yeah, it could have done him some good having a little mistake. He'd probably rather yeah, have it the other way, right? Clean at the top. This is it. Consistent. Exactly. You know, maybe he's a second quicker. Uh, Overall, with a perfect run. But yeah, that does, it's interesting in the wet to make up for. And you can, if you get away with it, you can make some serious time. And you mentioned it down the bottom. That's where people are winning or losing the race. And that's where Vali, she made an error. She was really good. She just made an error. Where? Made some notes here. She was risking it, which I like. You know, she's kind of, it seems, got over the sort of crashes and she's not riding too tight inside on and some of the She lost drops. the time at the bottom, yeah, big, three,
2: four, and five. Yeah, yeah.
0: and it was a fl- uh, before a fosbit. So that for her is one of those places. If you make a mistake in a certain area, get away with it. Not down the bottom on a fosbit. So yeah, that's an g- awesome question posed about Greg, and I would certainly agree it, it probably fired him up a little bit more in some of those sections.
2: Yeah, and, and I think that with the nature of this track, and it's worth mentioning, I think the MVP this weekend was Ronan Dunn. I think oh my God, yeah, no, please. You know, and what what's really important for people to know, I think it's really important, this lad has got all the ingredients and everyone, you speak to anyone at a World Cup in practice, they'll be like, Ronan Dunn's flying. He's done it through practice and we i was joking with him in andorra i said if you could put if you could just put your splits together if you took your splits from over the weekend from first run of practice here to second run on this day and all the rest of it you brought your splits together from a race weekend you'll be right up there because he's absolutely flat out he's he's incredible rider really chilled out but lacking that sort of confidence in a race run i think he's still desperately trying to prove himself And that's the the enemy. Honestly, I think that's the enemy of a World Cup racer is when they try and prove themselves because they have this expectation. They don't ride on instinct. They try and do stuff differently. And it's no good But he was able to just roll the dice and it paid off for him. And, you know, that's by no means a fluke. Like, don't anyone suggest that that's a fluke? I'm not saying this guy's going to back up every weekend, but he has the potential to, definitely. And that was amazing to see.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. He seems to be a real uh, favorite of the riders. You know, he gets a lot of mutual admiration mm-hmm. after that result. And so you would say you do see him as a diamond in the rough, you know, needing to just sort of smooth, yeah, sure. smooth over those edges. You got the pace. You clearly can ride practice like a man possessed. Um, yeah. But you're not over your head. He just needs to figure out that race craft, right? Which he's so that's, young. That's exactly I mean, he's talking yeah. about not qualifying as a junior in 2019, yeah, and I within know, I know, within I know. sort of third year, well, he COVID. Leads, he's had COVID. Yeah, COVID. yeah, this is exactly
2: it. He's, yeah. So he
0: hasn't had a lot of race experience at the World Cup level. So good on him. And to qualify that Fossus, I've done that, I've done yeah. that out of nowhere. It is you shit yourself at the top of the hill. So I think that's one of the most impressive things, to go out that gate and attack that hard and not mail it yeah, in and not sure. say, I'm going to get down, like, a clean run is going to be good, maybe the podium, maybe top 10. I mean, that guy was giving it harder than Amari Perron down there, which was wow. so inspiring to see considering, hey, you've just qualified pretty well. Let's get this thing down this hill. Let's get in the top 10 or let's maybe get on the podium. Let's get some sponsors happy. No ways. Didn't look like that from his riding style. I mean, he is a pretty aggressive riding style, but still.
2: Yeah, he's the kind of guy that if you if you had two options, you had a nice double into a right hander that was the fastest line, or you had a hundred foot quad into a rock garden with sharks in it for an outside line. He'd go that line. He'd just be like, "Yeah, just let's do that."
0: I love that, (laughs) and it's
2: like I, you know what I mean. And he does have that, and it's really funny because. He, I think he's the person where there's something that people are like, oh, maybe that's on. He's the guy who'll do it. You know, I, I, I think he was probably the first one to send it off the road in Andorra, where everyone was looking at that. And I remember telling Charlie that, you know, you're gonna have to do that probably. And he, oh, Charlie was like, oh bloody hell. Ronan would have just been brab, just you know, fourth gear pull up. So I, I love the. He's a lovely lad. He he bobs in and sees the guys. He's got continental link with, you know, the Afton team. He's he's a great guy and I wish him all the best. And what you were saying with Piran, he was two and a half seconds faster than Piran in sector two. Like, you know, you can't doubt someone's pace when they take two and a half seconds out of Piran.
0: No, it'll be interesting to see how he does on drier tracks and different forms, like does the wet just help him sort of be comfortable. But I think if you can do that in those conditions... You can learn the rest. You can learn the racecraft. It's very tough to learn speed and raw aggression yeah. like that. That's a great trait to have, you know. I mean, you can you can still train harder, but to yeah. to have someone I'd rather have that than someone that's training super hard, super fit, but you know, maybe not the wet skills or or the, the raw speed is 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 awesome. And speaking of raw speed, I mean, Bernard Kerr, it's been coming. I text him about, oh, I gave him shit about uh, not having his facts correct about a triple because in the last podcast with Sven, Bernard reckoned it's been a long time since someone done time training, qualifying, and race. Like he said Uh, it was way, way back.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like,
0: no way it's happened on this podcast. So he went back. And there were some awesome listeners that also messaged about it. And uh, it was Maribor last year. Loris Vergier a timed run quali race. So he did the triple. Anyway, and I said, hey, man, keep it up. Something good is coming. I'll find the text. Now, I didn't know if it was going to be second or maybe win, but it just seemed like he was always there for timed runs, in and around there with qualifying, just didn't get that race run he wanted. So I was almost no so surprise that he... That yeah. you got so close here.
2: Well I, I I I did something that I really shouldn't do and I really Let's apologize to it. everyone. <laughs> I read I read the pink bike comments. Oh, <laughs> <did you laughs> oh shit. Yeah, oh, I, I went you there. Didn't sleep I was for uh a no <laughs> but someone put a comment up that that I actually was just like, Yeah, I if I was a member and I could click like I'd like that. And it basically said something along the lines of um, Bernard doesn't show up at boring bike park tracks, but make it gnarly and, you know, impossible. And he's right there, like hardline and, you know, wet, dirty snowshoe. And that sort of hit the nail on the head to me because you put Bernard in these really tough conditions and he really rises to the occasion and he's got that raw ability that, is probably very frustrating for other riders because he's got this incredible raw ability and he'll get to the bottom and he'll tell you he has incredible raw ability.
0: How do you know Bernard Kerr's riding fast?
2: He tells you he's riding fast. He will
0: tell you he's riding fast. That's what I love about him. I've got a hell of a lot of respect for Bernard. I love to give him shit. We all do. I text him, I send him a screenshot. Sorry, champ loris did it last year epic racing big things to come rooting for you haha shit yeah yeah i know he did thanks man we on so he's incredibly confident and i just think his years of he has been out there a while now right and i don't think he's given every year the focus like he's done this year he's been out to queenstown a lot of uh, off seasons which i really think has helped his skill. I mean, he lives on his bicycle. And like you say, you go up to Surrey Hills, he's going to be yeah, really sure. fun to watch. But I think this time and this off season of riding downhill bikes in Queenstown, it's all coming up to a four here, and, and it's paying off, you know, and you can hear him. I think he wants, didn't he say if he wins one, he'll retire or retire from oh, racing really? downhill? <laughs> it's like, seems like this goal of his, of this extra motivation that
2: if yeah. he can win one, then he think... can
0: retire and just, I don't know, do vlogs and manage the team. Yeah. So now he's doing vlogs, managing the team, and getting second. So he's running triple duty. It's amazing. Here.
2: It really is. I, and I think that, that for, for someone like him, I think these lots of plates spinning and having the whole social YouTube thing is, it sort of keeps you level headed in his you know he can just not get over psyched out maybe about racing and it's not too serious and it doesn't really matter because i'm still going to get the views wherever i come and i i know that that's uh it probably sounds really condescending and I, I apologize if it does because i really don't mean it to be i think the point i'm trying to make is that if you get too borrowed into your own little world where if it goes wrong you'll be in this horrible mood and really upset and you know depressive state and it takes you a while to get back out of it that's no good for anyone I think that you've got these two ways of dealing with it one you've got someone who has racing as a massive part of their life but then they can switch off with it and do other things like say Bernard and then you've got these other riders that I've got huge respect for too that They take it super seriously, but if it doesn't go right, they'll shake you by the hand, they'll say, well done, and then they'll be happy for you. And someone like Bruni is very much like that. Come win, lose or draw, he'll shake you by the hand, he'll say, very well done, mate, I appreciate what you've done, and he'll move on and try and get better. And it's those attitudes give longevity. They give people the opportunity to race at the highest level for a long period because they can come back and they don't get beaten down because this sport is... It's all between the ears. These guys are not limited on skill. You know, the girls, there's less depth, but they still you can see that the skill level's gone up hugely and it's delivering on a race run. And when you see someone like Andy Kolb, who has come into this year with some top twenties, you know, and he's come good, and then all of a sudden he's been on the podium what, four times in a row? And it that's pure self belief. His understanding that if I ride like Andy Kolb, I'm one of the fastest in the world. All I need to do is ride like Andy Kolb. and it's a really, it's an amazing thing that if only we could bottle it, you know, people would be buying that, buying that up because it's a, uh, it's incredible. This self belief, self confidence, um, positive attitude, and understanding you don't have to do something you know, you are capable, you can win this. And I would love to see how Andy gets on a, uh, Monsantin and again coming into world champs, you know, he's got that European title. Why can he not be world champion? You know, you, you can argue there's other people maybe who are favourites, but you can't bet against him. How do you bet against someone who's on that on that streak?
0: No, you you can't. It's it's, it's like Amri now on that streak, but Andy's an interesting one. Oh. I mean, what an awesome place to be you'll be floating on cloud nine now four podiums in a row you know everything else is a bonus this year this is the year he really needs to kick on and give it a go because next year paycheck's probably going to come don't know what team is going to i'm not even starting a rumor but the i mean people have been there lots of riders have been there now the expectations are on you are you going to back that year up but you got four podiums last year um, but he seems like such a cool and calm guy. And like you say, this has probably just cemented his self-belief, which it should. And he just needs to probably make quite a few notes of what he's been doing.
2: Exactly. Because that. it's very yeah.
0: easy to just go through these four races and then you have a shit race and go, but what did I do to have that good race? Yeah. Shit. Did I eat muesli or did I eat eggs in the morning? Did this I have a pre-race beer or did I not? Was my tire press 29 or 30 PSI? And you start doubting everything. Trust me. Now, I'm an overthinker, so I'm not saying he is. But that does happen with riders. And some take longer to come back from, say, an injury versus others. Um, And like you said, you mentioned Bruni. I mean, for him to come back last week at Andorra, that just shows how mature he is. That He he built a process and he's sort of back already. So that was pretty damn incredible. But the sport is brutal. Matt Walker.
2: I know, he's got a win this oh, year. Back
0: I on know. pace right there, week in, week out. Yeah, Boom. That's just the brutal side of the sport. I mean, he's out with a broken kneecap and hand kneecap. That can't be fun. So healing vibes to him. And that shows you how fickle the sport is.
2: Yeah, it really is. And, and one, I think, a tangent that maybe is quite an interesting one is when you have a junior who's dominating and putting in times that are faster than the elite men's on some occasions, Jackson Goldstone, you know, incredible junior series, had a great battle with Jordan. I think Jordan went down maybe in his race run. I'm not hundred percent sure, but the times it's really, there, there's a lot of crash in the juniors, but again, there is this expectation. And I think the last one I can think of, and please correct me if I, you I think there's someone more recent than this. Was when Finn came up to elite. I think there was a lot of expectation that Finn would just jump straight into being straight on the podium and you know being right there. And it's not as easy as that. You know the times might stack up in your favour, and we know that the conditions can be different. But I also think racing at 10 o'clock in the morning, when there isn't that many people on the hill and the elite men haven't even started. From a mental point of view, you are the the sideshow. And again, I don't mean to put them down because they're putting in times faster than the men. But what I'm saying is that when you're the, the spotlight isn't burning down on you, like it might be for some of your teammates, you're just going above and beyond the call of duty. It's all brilliant, isn't it? If I'm doing above and beyond the call of duty and I'm doing well, Above expectation, everyone's patting me on the back and I'm probably getting bonus checks. That's awesome. The difficulty comes when they say, right, this is what we expect. This is in your contract as almost a minimum. So I think that it will be really interesting to see how these things pan out in the future for these up and coming riders because it's it's difficult. And maybe with the Discovery Channel, I don't know how that's going to favor or not this transition.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that rumor mill's going so sideways. I don't even yeah. know if we want to touch on it. I'm like, none of this shit has even touched a uh, pen and paper. So I don't even know where the rumor of maybe 30 riders, maybe I'm that far out the loop. But even if it came up in a conversation, I don't, I don't know. Are they? Is that shit going online just to get reactions? But anyway, if you're a junior, I mean <laughs> – Look at Aaron Gwynn. He's having some had some off races, so he gets 12th. You put a junior up in elites, and you don't have your best race. You get 35th. That's not going to feel that good. You might have still been second in junior. But a year later, w- what happened? You got 35th. You got 12th. You got 15th. No, it's a whole different ballgame. I think they have the talent. I think they have the speed. But it's not that simple moving up. It just isn't. There's just... You're not trying to beat two or three riders. You've got the pressure of trying to beat sixty in a final, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. And and I've always wondered in my head whether an espoir category or an under 23, as I think they now call it, is would be beneficial in downhill to give that stepping stone. And and maybe maybe it wouldn't, but maybe if they do change the way that the the field is stacked with this, you know. Hey, I don't know. This this top thirty thing came around about four years ago. That was the first time I heard about it. There was a lot of talk about this a long time ago. So I've heard it all before. and Nothing's happened. Whether they scale it back again, I don't know. But I think the fact is, is you you need you can't just go right. We've got the top guys. This is our Formula One grid. You know, it's, this is the top twenty. We're going to build their characters. We're going to help you understand who these people are. We're going to build stories around them and we're going to have a more film live. That's great, but you need the next top 20 and the next top 20. And, and that's the development structure that... Chris Ball's a clever guy. Let's, let's be honest. Chris is a clever guy. He's been around for a long time. I don't doubt him in the slightest. I wish him all the best and I'm sure he'll do a good job. I don't think he's got any short-term plans to cut anything off at the knees i couldn't agree more i
0: mean next year there's no ways i mean everyone's losing their bloody marbles on this i agree with that i i think it's a transitional period i don't think they've had the time i don't think they would want to i don't think much is going to change for next year in a good way whether whether it's a it's a rumor or they said is that where we go in the future who knows no one knows we're not at that table yet the riders want to try get at the table i think they deserve it Uh, i think i can't wait i think it's going to be so much positive if everyone works together in in the future but that came up as well we got asked that is a u21 or u23 a good idea me and miles in this sort of our world of mtb where we take listener questions so if you are listening Hit us up with questions that come up in this podcast. We'll try listen uh, answer them, or I'll reach out to Alan. We were both pretty for it in like that transitional period. Some juniors take way longer to progress into elites than others. Um, yeah, absolutely. So maybe for teams, that's quite a cool category to have. You know, maybe you, I like U twenty one, you probably U twenty one, maybe. Three years of it. Hey, and it's not compulsory. You want to go straight to the big boys, the elites? Go for it. Yeah. It's like the yeah, I, motocross. Motocross yeah. has 250F and 450. Um, it's maybe a chance to give a guy's few more years, or someone that wasn't able to skip school or have a factory ride as a junior, but he's a talent. He might just take longer to to get there. We have a lot of those riders in the men's field right now. They weren't the best juniors out there but they are some well, I think, big yeah, names in the elite category
2: I agree I think Koulange is probably a good example of that and I think that having you know using you've just hit the nail on the head really I I work with a lot of up-and-coming young riders and it is scary in a way to see the almost full-time commitment that's been put into it and i I don't think I'm being negative in saying that. I just think that's the fact. And they they see it as a potential career choice. So they get into wanting to commit everything to it. But, you know, I used to be a PE teacher. My wife is an academic. And I think if my daughter, I've got two daughters, and if my daughter was like, right, I'm done with school now, Dad. I want to be a professional athlete. I'd be like, whoa, can we not find a middle ground? And the thing is that the middle ground or the, you know, the, continuation of either education or work to fund it is that you may be slower to develop and there is a lot of um, long-term athletic development data out there to show we mature at different rates we you know get stronger or fitter or more skilled at different rates depending on this peak height velocity and your growth and all of this other boring stuff but we need to let these people grow at their own pace. And I think that if you don't make it by 18 and they're like, well, you've had no junior career, see ya, you're off. That's really tough. And I think that this under 21 or under 23 or espoir category, whatever, would allow those slightly more, so we say slow burners to come through and, and actually shine a light. And like motocross, there are some riders that will stay in the, the 250F, the lights class longer And Jet Lawrence is going, I want a 450 ride, apparently. He's jumping on the 450, and that's great. But that's great because he's probably made a decision. You know, maybe he's sending Roxanne into retirement. Who knows? Yeah, it's an interesting (laughs) one. It, It
0: is an interesting one. And for those juniors that come straight into elite and and make it, that's awesome. At least you know you've got a career in mountain biking if you stay healthy and you work hard at it. I wonder if you're doing some people a disservice of giving them false hope. Well, I'm going to do three years in U21. Yeah, times aren't quite good enough, but I'm just biding my time and I'll get another pro c- contract hopefully when I get out of U21. Um, and unfortunately. People do progress at slower rates, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, are we seeing some people put their heart and soul, and I'm not saying don't go race around the world. It is one of the best educations you will have. But if if you're doing it just to get that pro career, is there a false expectation on that by creating that category? I don't know. There's pros and cons to a decision like that.
2: There, there really are. And I think just maybe one more point on this is – the two things is if you race you do that extra s bar category and it's not working out for you then there you go you've had a great career time to get a job and maybe that's a nice time to go i've done everything i can but i have to say when you're looking at privateers this year taylor vernon factory riders a junior moved up onto a couple of programs was on that sort of non-starting uno program with greg williamson came back off that full privateer now He's got some incredible results. And if you lay Taylor's times against a lot of factory riders, he's beating a lot of riders. And I'm not going to name names because I'm not here to do that. But all I'd say is if you're looking for a rider, Taylor Vernon's got to be on your list as as one of these potentials. And he's just been grafting. Him and his dad have just been putting the miles in that camper. And maybe he has got to that point where he's a bit more mature now. He knows what he needs to do. And... I'd love to think that next year we might see him sign a deal and he's a full-time paid athlete.
0: Yeah, I mean, and he had some horrific injuries early on, on on the factory riders when he was on GT with the Athertons as well. So yeah, I mean, injuries do happen and some people take way longer to get yeah. back. No, absolutely. Let's uh, cruise down some other notables. Vergier was up by 3.5, crash in a flat rock section. That's annoying, but... Yes, you know, oh, it's so tough for him, eh? He's just shown, shown his back, and then his speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah his speed he's got is the incredible. Speed. I think Troy's back on pace as well, or at least on this style of track. He showed it here.
2: Yeah, he didn't really show that in Andorra. It's interesting to compare how things were because in qualifying in Andorra, Vergier pulled out that much time in the very bottom section. We were rewalking the track. And we were standing on this bridge, going right. How has Vergier got a second and a half from here to the finish? And we were scratching our heads. And I've scratched my head at, at Maribor when he was pulling time. Me and Greg were standing there, and Greg was like, "How's he pulled three seconds on me from this point to that point? <laughs> you know, the guy's unbelievable." And yeah. it, it's, I think that's, I don't know. In a way, it's that's the excitement of the sport. He's not. It's not going to affect his deal for next year. He's one of the most exciting riders to watch and it is frustrating for everyone when he crashes. But that's quite for me that it's like tantalizing, you know, because going comparing what I was with the girls, Piron's finals time, his winning time, was nearly three seconds slower than the potential fastest time.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I think some other races. You would see way closer to the actual fastest time. But considering what a roll of the dice this track was, you could understand that the virtual fastest time would be quite a bit faster because people were going to make mistakes, right? Greg did the mistake at the top. Umri's not going to have a perfect run. So that's fascinating. And we keep an eye on that in the other races, like a dry race, sometimes you get super close to the virtual fastest time. If Absolutely. not the fastest.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because you you do get some riders that basically take all splits. You know, they're they're either one or two through all the splits and therefore that's the theoretical time anyway. But to have um, a track where it clearly was really technically difficult because of the track layout, because of the conditions, it meant that probably that attitude of just, you know, keep on trucking, keep on pushing on, uh, not let that mistake you know, in some tracks, if you're riding one of these really bike park oriented tracks where you make a small mistake and you're like, wow, that's probably me done. Where, where were we that nine seconds separated the whole of qualifying? I think it was Andorra might have been Lenzerheide. you know, less yeah, than lens 10 seconds. Yeah, Yeah, it separated the entire qualifying field was something like nine and a half seconds. So you can understand if you make a bit of if you're a top 15 rider and you make a bit of a mistake that might be you you're gone you're you're at the back door but at a track like this you have to just somehow put it out of your mind and just keep pushing on and and actively attack and actively really go for it because i what was what i found interesting was charlie had what was a relatively big crash in his race run. he came over that steep drop and he came offline and he then sort of got bucked over the next one and down onto the floor. And he got up, got himself back together and got on the bike. And although his split times weren't great, he was 25th overall. And I thought that was astonishing, really. Like he, you know, he took good points from that. Top 25, you'll take that with a crash, won't you? Yeah,
0: it is, it is a race where you need to keep on trying and just knowing that there's a lot of guys are going to make mistakes. It's a real opportunity to get a, a result. It really is. And a lot of wet races are. A lot of guys are mentally sort of psyched out. Uh, more mistakes can happen versus an easier, drier track. It's definitely harder to perform because you have to be so, so precise. Like you said, you'll be a top 15 run and you hesitate in a turn and next thing you're 25th and you're just scratching your absolute head, you know?
2: Yeah. Uh, really interesting. And at, at one point that I'd, I'd like to make is around Danny. Um, go People talk about sacrifices, uh, you know, that you make to race your bike and for your career. The guy's been, he's on the other side of the world and his wife's just given birth. Goodness me, you know, fair play to him. I've got a lot of respect for Danny anyway, but to, to somehow channel that and, you know, we know Danny's able to do this. He's able to sort of channel these emotions and he was clearly emotional when he crossed the line, you know, he was interviewed by Lauren and you could, you could tell it. It meant an awful lot. He was obviously missing his family. He was. He probably found it very conflicting not to be there. It must have been really tough to make that decision and go, you know, this is what I do and this is the way I provide for my family and therefore this is what's going to have to happen. Um, and to get a result so close to the podium, I was really rooting for him. I thought that a podium would have been a lovely um welcome to the world for his daughter and you know regardless of danny's result his efforts are definitely a welcome to this world to his daughter
0: yeah incredible and and they you know obviously made a decision as a family um and and that's where they decided he would be you know during the birth yeah. and and uh yeah i've actually chatted to him but danny actually is is open to saying he will not be at mount sanan because they yeah. have made the decision he's going back to be with his family to be with his daughter, which is you know, there was a lot on his plate mentally going into that final run. So I do have a hell of a lot of respect for Danny. He is a racer at heart, and that's what him and his family decided he would do. But yeah, you know, to get down that hill on those conditions, and I don't think he had his bag. So I think it was a draining week for him. And he was out on a play in the night off the night of the race or Sunday night. I think it was maybe Sunday night. And we've been texting a little bit and he and he was happy to share and ask. You know, let the guys know I'm not gonna be at Mount Sinan. Because it means a lot to him, racing, and he listens to these podcasts. And he sometimes they're traveling in Europe, and he's in his camper getting Wi-Fi, and he's, "I'm just finishing off the podcast." And he, you know, he's a race fanatic. He's, "Oh, do you really think so and so was faster at that split?" <laughs> Sophie says, "I just need to let it go," but it's bullshit, right? I'm like Danny, I agree with you. I think it's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Something was a bit off, yeah. but um, yeah, props to Danny, and uh, you know thoughts with him and his family he's gone back to be with them and I, I think that's Absolutely. also I
2: think it's amazing. a
0: mature decision as well um people might say how could you be at the race and that's well the family decided you know that's what they wanted to do um so he won't be at, at Mount Sinan so he'll be missed there and a heroic effort by him I think there was yeah, a lot exactly of emotions that. to get down that hill in those tough conditions yeah.
2: Yeah, which it, however, it worked out. He was there, he was going to do his very best, and um, yeah, fair play to him. I, I think it's it was it was amazing, really.
0: Yeah, awesome. I've obviously super proud of Dylan. Uh, he's got 11th again, he's cracking on the top 10. Yeah, um, I think it's coming soon. Hopefully, he gets on that uh world's team. So, uh, great track for him. He is so clinical, smooth, and clean, and I think he had. You could argue the later you went, the better the conditions were. Yes, it was treacherous in some of the rocky wood sections. Was never really going to get dry, but the other parts of the track that had you know sort of some daylight and stuff like that definitely getting faster. You could see as the times, the the skill and the qualifying. Yes, you know they were going to come down, but I do think the conditions got better throughout the day.
2: Yeah, I I think so, and and in a way we've had a few of these races where it's a bit of a shame you know leo gang comes to mind where you're you're riding in the pouring rain and the wet and then by race day for the top 20 in some parts of the track it's very dry and but that is mountain that is the conditions that we race in we all know that's coming and we have to be i guess mindful of how we practice like we mentioned earlier um and looking forward to Monson Town, what are you thinking into? It? Do you think that's going to be another wet one? Have you got any ideas on uh, I, how that might might turn out?
0: I haven't looked at the weather. I would be lying if I I looked at the weather. <laughs> but I mean, there's often afternoons thunder showers. We've yeah. all seen it. Doesn't affect it quite like snowshoe uh, runs from Gwen, the late Stevie Smith, have definitely shown. Yeah. If true. you're willing to, to risk it and attack, you can get down that hill pretty damn quick, even in the wet. So it'll be way more of an even playing field. I I, I think the people will real have a real bone to pick with the people that crashed out. Gwyn's going to be hungry. Vergier, Loic. Those guys are going to be really hungry, you know, when you when you have a race like this and you, you don't quite get that race run. And now you've got another ti- uh, shot back to back. I mean, that, those guys, I think, will be more dangerous. And the same goes for Miriam. I think she's got some fight in her for for anne
2: I agree, and I, it's it's going to be an interesting um, sort of end to the season, really, because Monsonen very physical track, and then they have to fly back, and they've probably got a week at home. You know, maybe ten days if they're lucky, and then it's World Champs in Val Sol. So it's it, there's not an awful lot of rest, and Monsantan, uh is a very physical track and it's one of those tracks where some people can have a good feeling about Monsonan and get some good results and like you say if you've got back-to-back races for those people that haven't had a result it's maybe a bit easier to deal with because you're like you're so hungry and you don't have to sit on it you don't have to stew you can just get straight back on the bike and go right let's try and you know right some wrongs so it might be really exciting.
0: Yeah, and interesting. I mean, Amari can uh, lock up the title there. So, I mean, is he? How is his motivation there? Does he back off a bit, knowing that Worlds is still a you know big task for him? Has he spent a lot of energy getting all these wins? You know, does he have the internal motivation energy? I think when you get to Leger... I think doesn't matter how tired you are, how late in the season is, that is gonna lift the French. That's for damn sure. So oh, yeah, you're sure. bumming me out. We're almost uh, we're almost through this race season. Oh, it like know. it took a while, it took a while to get going. I know. And yeah. now the race fans, whoo! It's coming thick and fast. And then the question marks start, what's happening next year? I don't I don't think the calendar's out. I am just as positive as you are about next year. I can't wait to hear what's going on. But Alan. This has been great. We might not have got to every riders. There were a lot of riders that had some great results. Um, you know, top 15s, Ethan Crank was there. I don't know a lot about the Frenchman. And excuse me, uh, Matteo Ingeguez. Yes, got a yeah. great result. So, this is often what happens. These are guys we don't see all the time on the broadcast, um, and it's great to see them see them up there. Um, David Trimmer back in the mix there. He's good in the wet. Uh, that's nice to see him up there so um and Laurie greenan as well he's not quite had all the results we know he's capable of but you know right up there as well why don't we go hear from some of the riders thanks so much to sven martin who was on the show in the last episode and is an awesome contributor to the world cup circuit works so hard it's insane and also thanks to misspent summers Go check out their website, misspensummers.com. They have some awesome content, and you can also find these rider interviews there.
3: Hi, Marie. We spoke yesterday, and you said uh, smooth and chill is the way, but I don't think you had to do that today, huh? No. No? <laughs> that
4: was no smooth and chill. No smooth and chill. Dude, I was so hyped. The, I
3: can like, see you. you get so hyped when you win. It's like there's so much energy you put into your riding and your racing that it's like you just let it out dude I don't know it's so good just like
4: we we train all year for those moments there's just a few moments like that in your life and when it's happened it's so good and here it was even better with the quad because at the top like before my run, like doing two oh, okay. minutes. Yeah. People were like, <laughs> oh, really? "I was like."
3: Does that does that, work for you? Does that
4: work for you? <laughs> I remember that was the same like uh, in nineteen. Yeah, in nineteen, I was a bit nervous about it. Yeah. But today I felt really good. Like after the, after first, first first my first training run, I was like so bad, like fuck. Oh, yeah. My back is is not working well. I'm struggling on track. And we just like I just little things. And I just like came into the second run, more confident. And I was, Vas-y, pras-la, 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 pras-la. <laughs> I was just like, okay, let's go, do a run. That's 9% beer. Yeah, so that's maybe why I'm already high. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I should have it. And uh, yeah, yeah. after my second run, training run, I was like, okay, that was a good run. Like I'm stuck. I was fast. I felt so smooth and fast on track. Yeah. Because uh, the track's not a fast track or it's quite flat and it's hard, to yeah, that, physical. that's super physical. Yeah. But like, I don't know, like I hit some the road gardens pretty well and fast. Yeah. And the, sometimes that, you know you go like, when you're on track and you say like, okay, you were like fucking fast. Okay. They don't say that for nothing. Okay, good. So it's like, okay, that was good. So just let's do it again. Let's. Let's make it happen. So I was feeling good, like doing all the break between practice and final. And uh, yeah, during warm-up, I was like so high, like dancing, singing, oh, yeah. and... Because normally you guys are alone up there, but now you have the crowd, because this man's uh, yeah, yeah, up Yeah, this up is or a quote. So yeah. for, for warm-up, I was kind of alone, but when I come to the start gate, yeah. the quote like, you <laughs> I was like, fuck yes, that's good. Right. And when I was in the start, I was like, hell yes, baby, that, that was good. The atmosphere was so good. And then I went for it. I did, dude, like, so many mistakes, so bad. Like Your, your time was up and down. On, yeah, on yeah, 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 because yeah, yeah, I did so many mistakes. But I don't know how I won. Like, honestly, I was okay. You, after the first row garden in the nutrition, yeah. you know, you, we eat the, the berm, the flat berm. Yeah, 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 So bad. And I went, like, Sideways. Yeah. And nearly crash. I was speed zero. I was okay. Really? Uh, can't yeah. just stop in your own. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so sad because just before my start, oh, you're not on the list, so we, you need to take off your GoPro. They, like, they, a did, white that Jack, they
3: did that to Jackson as well. The so GoPro? He's
4: been, and he's been on the list and, the whole time. And, and yeah, same. And yeah. Thibaut the, last same. Yeah. Fuck, I'm so sad. But anyway, so I'm like, okay, the win is over, but play is over, well, send it. Keep yeah. sending. So yeah. you, you, you're feeling good, so you have to to send. Okay. And I was sick. The like score was insane. So I was like, yeah, just send it. I was doing mistakes so bad, but like not hitting my lines, going offline. But when I did the finish, the last jump, yeah. I look at the board. I was like green, red, red, green. I was like, so what the like- fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> green. <laughs> and
3: then
4: crossing the line, watch the screen. And when I realized I won, I was like,
3: dude, insane, insane. And, and all Bernard has been saying since you won is 0. 0.4, 0. 0.4, 0.4. Ah, oh, that was close, that was close. So you told him something, you said you had uh, the lucky plates. I think you said something. I, did, I didn't tell him. Yeah. Because
4: uh, if I told him, he would maybe have more oh, confidence. i told him after though. Yeah, 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 yeah. OK. <laughs> but uh, yes. That number is a good number. His mechanic told me that uh, his last podium was in 2018, I think.
3: Yeah,
4: okay. So it's kind of a long time ago. Yeah. So that number is kind of the lucky plate. It's crazy. Okay. You, you need to talk with Dean Lucas. Okay. You we'll know everything that, we'll about Check out about that number. And for example, yesterday, short track. Yeah. Woman who It's number 16. Number 16. Right really. Dude, number and... So we go to Vegas, we bet number 16. Dude, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> 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 no, there is... It's crazy. You believe it or not, but I think there is something like we in here. There is something. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, but for, it's crazy. And, and
3: Run and Dunn, what do you what do you have to say about that? Shit! honestly,
4: if I I won't gonna I, I don't I don't really believe it. Like, cause he's always like sending in practice. Yeah, yeah, like, You're the practice uh, kick. Yeah. Yeah, 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 really like sending really hard but he never like made it happen like yeah. in, in quali or final
3: yeah
4: and he did a good time practice he did it a did good quality. Well, yeah. like, what the fuck yeah. that's so sick I was really happy for him but it was like he never maybe played with that pressure yeah, yeah, and yeah. he ended it so it. I'm really proud of this kid
3: honestly
4: I didn't expect that but I'm stuck for him awesome. he really deserves that cause I know I struggle a lot with a lot of uh, mechanicals the yeah, previous yeah. Uh, races. He's like almost a privateer, you know, with a yeah, team yeah, and yeah. privateer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's so young. He, yeah, he don't really have a, a big support. Yeah. So well done,
3: well done, kid. That's pretty sick. Keep going. That's it. Hey, enjoy that 9% beer. Thank you very much. <laughs> Somehow we've missed many interviews this year.
5: Oh, did we? Yeah, you like
3: disappeared. <laughs> um, Cammy, another an, another one. And points lead growing and growing. Um, Once again a master in the mud, but tell us about your weekend.
5: Oh yeah, I love the mud. I'm not, I mean, that's the best uh, condition for me. It makes the track slower and you can more let the bikes do what he wants and you don't need to be so pres- pre- precise on the line. Uh I really like that and I'm not scared of it and I just enjoy it and even though I don't like to wash all my stuff everywhere, yeah. <laughs> I really like those conditions so I was super stoked and you see the other woman struggling a bit more and it gives you more confidence and yeah that was just a good weekend.
3: But talking about struggling, it's also the first time actually for everyone, but it's the first time I've seen you struggle so much <laughs> on day one.
5: Yeah for sure. First day I mean... practice
3: you, you were not looking yourself in the mud.
5: It's, no, a different, it's a
3: different kind of track, like, how can you explain that to people because we had so many injuries, DNFs, crashes of top riders, um, it's quite a different kind of World Cup track when it's wet, huh?
5: You just hear you need to get used to it and first I thought the, the rocks would be so bad, yeah. so you're, you're a bit scared and then you tense and it, it's not going well, but okay. once I realized it wasn't that bad and the mud was cool and then the rocks were not as bad as I thought, it got better and better, and it's how I do it. I'm never fast in training anyway. So <laughs> you're
3: a build, you you build for like that's always the strategy anyway.
5: Yeah, I don't I don't want like first of all I don't want to crash. That's always my strategy. Yeah. I didn't crash the whole week again. So and how,
3: how many races have you got no crashes? Because your record of no crashes is quite phenomenal.
5: Well, uh, even the whole weekend, honestly, I didn't crash once in Andorra. I didn't like you sliding out here. and stopping,
3: cr- or like you just not hitting the deck
5: no here i was sliding yeah i didn't no, uh, like hit the deck on
3: your face and
5: never on my knee or whatever like gloves, never
3: down. gloves dirty <laughs> you have clean gloves the whole weekend you might yeah, be the only one no
5: not, not one time my gloves in the man are you serious yeah. you
3: i think i'm gonna say you're the only one of of everyone men and women
5: maybe but honestly yeah i didn't crash once and that's that really my strategy because i don't want to hurt myself because i know even the smallest stupidest crash can be bad so but that makes you the best it.
3: mountain biker in the world men's and women no, I just take there's not one risk. of these there's not yeah but you're less risky in the first place there's not one person on the podium i think that didn't have dirty gloves
5: this weekend probably not but I just it's the way i do it i don't need to ride a lot i don't need to ride super fast in training i just need to like try my lines and yeah same for the race day i'm one of the only one that always do just that one yeah, run yeah. at 1050, and i'm really fine with it i know they're starting
3: to copy you especially. yeah they're doing it
5: but i don't like it like yeah. i've been speaking to pompon and Rally yeah, yeah. and stuff they're they like for, yeah i need more like that was good but i pompon crashed five times in, in, so in this run, run and yeah. she was like yeah another one would have been good and for me it's i don't know it's just less risk as well like if i ride less it's less risk and once i have my line i don't need to go again I, it's fine
3: well don't change anything
5: no it's like, good <laughs> that's why i'm
2: gonna do for sure I I think I might have it.
6: greg uh looks like you're warming up for world champs hey i've got it eh? you know it's uh it was cool it was a real hard weekend like super tough Got it maybe one of the toughest conditions I'm ever i'm say the most i've seen you guys struggle oh yeah it was hard and the problem is you don't have the gradient, so exactly. you're trying to generate speed over slippery rocks is, is tough. But you're the king
3: but, of carrying speed, which is what got you on the podium, the, maybe?
6: Oh, in the fast left-hander where the second split was, I landed on that rock where Lurk crashed and uh, landed on this big rock in the middle, Yeah. sat the bike up, had to brake, lost yeah. all my carrying speed up to that like, yeah. rocky job, so that was my biggest mistake. Um, well, your biggest
3: mistake was this morning. Your first practice run. There's a quad that you turned into a five.
6: Was, do you like that? You landed the upside of the fifth one. You know it's that. It's good though. Yeah, but you got it right, bro. Well, yeah, I had to send it, you know. And I think that's where I made up some time in the bottom. Yeah, you look you're good doing that there, triple yeah. double. Yeah. But it was. Um, it's cool. I mean, shit. 84th podium, 150 starts, so.
3: Shit, man. Not too bad. So flows at 100. Finals and you've had eighty-four podiums. Yeah, oh, God. Um, yeah, not
6: much to say. Good luck. No, for the next just, uh, 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 couple of months and months, a good one for you. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping. I, I need you know I'm, we're in a good position, like bike wise, everything's sewn to like gel wise. You know, we we're, we're a new team. Yeah. You know, Syndicate's kind of a, a refresh new team right now, so. It was good to get one on the younger guys. Yeah, well, not not that. I mean, Laza had a great ride. Yeah. You know, the plan was to meet him on the, hot, on the on the on the on the box, and you guys did it, and we did. So that was cool. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I want I want to get some momentum going now towards the end of the season. So yeah. I'm glad I was fifth. I would have loved more. I, I was close to more, yeah. but um, just a silly mistake cost a bit. So hey, onwards and upwards. Nice one either way. Thank you. Uh, comment on. Uh, the right and done oh man it was brilliant you know he's such a pinner and I thought wow this is going to be really interesting to see and uh, true to form he was pedaling absolutely everywhere but he held yeah, his it. head so well and this track I mean you could be three four seconds back but once you hit that bottom left hand corner to that second to last split yeah from there down was the race I mean we saw in the women's race we saw in the men's race yeah yeah you're right and he, and he held it all together I thought he had spent himself energy wise because it was super physical like yeah. they showed none of the flat you know there's a flat section of berms that are so greasy yeah yeah but he, he rode incredibly well and then down the bottom it was just like clockwork he just nailed everything so man that was incredible to see awesome alright man thanks bro man of
3: the moment wow. I'll give a prelude Last year he couldn't do two good runs in a row. This year he did good time training, sick quality, and even better final. Uh, introduce yourself, bro. Hi, I'm Ronan Don, and I'm from Wicklow. <laughs> and I'm
1: looking for, uh, oh, I'm looking big to, money next year. That would be the plan. At least I don't have to work on a building site. That's that's so, the thing.
3: That, what is day and day for you? Uh,
1: pretty much morning on the farm, help my dad out, which I don't mind. It's actually a great crack. And then maybe shoot some things, ride the bike, and then gym. And that's my day, and I love it.
3: But uh, but I heard, you. when did you start racing downhill? Uh, last year was my proper full season race downhill. and was World Cup, but when did you start <laughs> racing, like, BDS or national races? Like, how long
1: have you been riding bikes? Probably 2017, 2017 would probably be my first proper year, but my first abroad race was the World Cup, and I didn't qualify, so... And that
3: was last year? Uh, no, I was in
1: the 2019 when I was a junior, but yeah. I, I was nowhere near qualifying, and then 2020 was first, 2021, first proper year. So. so in two, three short years
3: from not qualifying, yeah. even not qualifying as a junior, <laughs> yeah. to on the podium in the league. I, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's a dream dream come true. Oh my God. This track scared and was difficult for a lot of riders because it, I mean, we saw how difficult it was out yeah. there. Is it just like, that's what you guys get all winter long when you're off season is? Or how, how come you and Byrne are so comfortable here?
1: Like, we always get slippy conditions in Ireland, but never anything this mucky, so. Yeah. Even I was surprised to get that P8 in time training, and then qualifying, I couldn't believe it at all. And then, fucking podium, that's a different world. So, yeah, no, no, like, no idea what happened.
3: Yeah. Wait, now that you're big time, you are going to cut these interviews short because you got to get to the podium, bro. Oh, shit, yeah, fuck, <laughs> yeah. Follow, follow Bernard, who knows? Oh. DJ, can you get my bike? You are such a competitive race nerd. I never thought I'd
7: find you looking at the
3: replays already.
7: Huh? I'm right, like well. You're like you're already working for next weekend. I stopped. No? no? Next weekend is gonna be it's gonna be fine.
3: <laughs> but that's pretty cool to see. Like you guys are having fun. Big team celebration. Oh, yeah. Second on the podium, but you're already looking at replays to see how you can improve.
7: Yeah, I mean, like, i definitely changed the mood of my day. I was, like, pissed up. And then, like, seeing this victory after, after where I come from, I was, like, really stoked. But, uh, yeah, I'm still a competitor. So, like, I'm still good and I'm um, Everybody I crossed was like, "Oh, without this crash, without this crash." So I felt like, "Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I <had> to... <laughs> even I said that."
3: <laughs> no, I said you were at least at least you were on a race winning run. Yeah. At some point.
7: Yeah, at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see on now I've watched a replay that right before the crash, I'm leaning a bit backwards. So yeah. when I do this, means I'm Is it getting tired yeah, I'm, or... I'm tired. Yeah. And you were saying. <laughs>
3: a lot of that might be you've had some setbacks, COVID knocked you back in training, so usually you can keep the strength and keep building the strength, but you lost the strength and had to rebuild?
7: Yeah, I mean like compared to last year for sure I don't feel as strong, but uh, so for kind of the tracks that are okay it's really enough, but this one I think the last time I rode a a track was that hard, was in Cairns. (laughs) Yesterday I really had this feeling. And this one was really tough, so but it was the same for everybody. <laughs> anyway, yeah,
3: you win some and you lose some yes, and you're losing sure. in second place. Yeah. That's not too bad. And there
7: is so many moms today who said like, you're such an inspiration for the kids to crash and to keep going. And yeah. I feel like this is what I want to remember from uh, today that I never... Never give up. Never give up.
2: It was another fantastic race. I I probably had more messages of friends at this race than I have for a while um, I'm sure you're the same you know the your mates who are maybe more casual fans but when they they sort of really engage with the race and they find it super exciting and this one seemed to go up that level because of the unpredictable nature of it and and the fact that you could you could see a rider come in and they were three seconds up and then they'd lose three seconds and then they go back up again it's not always what we expect. But what's just incredible about downhill is you can do this, and then you come to the bottom, and you're within a second of someone. So it, it's, I I absolutely love it. I'm so grateful that it's the way I'm living, as I'm sure you are. So, uh, and it's nice to be able to chat to chat to you about it too.
0: No, I'm grateful and honoured that you came on the show again. We'll see who we get in here for mountain. And Ellen, it's been fascinating. It's a little late here for both of us in the evening. Uh, the dust or rain has settled from the race, but this really gets me excited. I can't wait for the next race now. You know, I sit down and and it's a little different perspective, like you said, being at home, watching it. And then when the racing gets going, I'm like, whew, didn't think that would be as exciting as Val Nord, but it kind of was. So guys, thanks to Crank Brothers as well, because they support the show and they support racing. Celebrating 11 years in a row for World Champs titles for that Mallet DH pedal, Guys, the world champs, we spoke about it. It's coming up soon in Leger. Can they do twelve in a row? Well, time will surely tell. Those new epic shoes were out there. The white shoes were barely white by the end of it. But Bernard Kerr. I think he did a shoey as well. Ronan Dunn, the Riders fan. Oh, what is it? You know when you're the Riders Rider. Yeah, Riders Rider. Because ride Steve Pete. What's Steve Pete known for again? He was I forget the saying. Anyway, I'm butchering it. He is the rider's <laughs> rider. He is actually the rider's favorite rider. and he's Or the people's
2: champion, maybe. Yeah,
0: so PD was the people's champion. Ronan Dunn's the rider's champion. The, which, yeah, I, which, I, I, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Right, there we go. I eventually got there. There we go. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Take some to stu- I, yeah.
2: I wish you did do this live, Needles. You could chop all that out well, and look I really could, smooth. I could chop <laughs> it out. You're not going to now, but, though. You're going to let it roll
0: absolutely not i have said some stupid shit on this podcast and will definitely make mistakes going forward so there you have it vulnerable as all the rider's rider he's my favorite rider at the moment they were doing all that i think even cammy did a shoey out of a new crank shoe
2: i mean they're great
0: great shoes i just uh, i don't know if you want to do too much drinking out them
2: No, yeah, I'm waiting to get. I I I won't go into it too much on here, but uh, there there was some problems with some postage on some shoes, and I was hoping that I'd have um, the new colorways. So hopefully for world, are you getting George's If George is listening to this, don't (laughs) need his face. I'm
0: pissed off. Maybe not yet.
2: needles needles not not oh, on it what on do i have not to
0: do that. to get the new shoes Goddamn damn podcast <laughs> going anyway guys enough blabbering from us you know what to do like subscribe send some feedback we appreciate it. you got any questions send them to me if we don't get to it on like a race review we'll do it in that other world of mountain bike with miles yep you know what we're gonna be doing we're gonna be gearing up for mountain next week okay enough from us i'm out cheers alan
2: Thank you, mate. Lovely. Speak to you soon.